What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome, and thank you for lending me your ears. Uh, Second, allow me to tell you a little bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome people that are on our radar to discuss the gadgets, the gear, and more importantly, the tech that they use to run their businesses, create their content, and more importantly, be more productive and just make their jobs a little easier. Now, when it comes to the toys aspect of the podcast, it's not just the usual, what action figures are you into or model kits, etc. We look at toys here in a more broad sense because everyone's definition of toys is, is a little different. What I consider toys may be, you know, Funko Pops, action figures, Gundam models, etc. But someone else may be into collecting guitar picks or musical instruments or knives. Everyone's definition of toys is different. And we embrace that more generalized uh, definition here on this podcast. With that out of the way, let me get a little housekeeping in before we turn it over to this week's guest. So first and foremost, I want to thank everyone that checked out our last episode. It was probably now moving into our second or third most downloaded episode of the podcast's uh, era, so to speak. And it was interesting because obviously this podcast, that that episode had no guest and it was primarily focused on my experiences um, going back into like the networking space. And the thing about it was that a lot of people reached out and a lot of people were very um they had a lot of positive feedback and a lot of other people were curious about if networking was the right move for their business or their endeavor or what their whatever journey they're on and i told a lot of those people that i would answer their question on this podcast and i want to keep it brief to turn it over to this week's guest but The thing about it is you should always go out of your way to find people that share a lot of the same passions and go through similar struggles that you do. Because I think that a lot of success comes from camaraderie amongst others that are in similar situations. You know, a lot of people sit here and and they talk about doing it on their own and I made it on my own or, you know, I built this business on my own. But it's funny because you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about that in an interview. And the thing about it is like, you're never really quote unquote, making it on your own. And what I mean by that is that that one person that took a gamble on you for a particular endeavor, that one person that decided to, um, you know, help you with your content for free with no expectations. Uh, those people that were your first 10 downloads for a podcast or your first 50 YouTube viewers, those people were the fuel for those creative fires that continue to burn today in whatever endeavor you're on. And the thing about it is, is that, yeah, it's, it sounds like, Hey, this is a solitary endeavor, but there are so many people that are responsible for getting you to where you are. Some of them are completely nameless and others are people that are in your circle. But the thing about it is when it comes to networking and connecting with others, um, don't gatekeep. That's the only thing I, I want to 
really drive home. Don't gatekeep. A lot of the stuff that we know is because we picked it up from other people or we learned it along the way or we created it and made it our own, but maybe somebody can come along and make it better. And the fact is that by doing that, you're always going to have a place at the table, no matter how crazy it sounds, no matter, oh, I'm going to do a podcast about paper clips and there's 27 other paperclip podcasts. But the thing about it is that you may be podcast number 28, but more people may like your show than the other 27 that are out there. More people may gravitate towards your content because of you as an individual. And I think that with that, I mean, it's a good way to close things out. And it's that go out there, find your tribe, find people that are into the same stuff that you're into, um, sharing similar struggles, sharing similar challenges, because you never know. There might be your next client, your next business partner. Hell, might be your next best man, your next uh, colleague, your next spouse, significant other, whatever. Um, Really make the most of these opportunities and find those people that are in similar journeys. I think that we can all learn a lot from each other. I think that's a great way to wrap up our housekeeping for this week's episode and turn it over to this week's guest who comes to us from Noah Kagan's underdog community. So let's get to it. Continuing our underdog series, we will be sitting down with Leah Spasova this week. Uh, Leah is uh, one of the very, very active members in the underdog community. And I'm so excited to sit down and talk with her and share her story. I think that her diverse background is going to give you folks a lot to process and a lot of lessons. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Leah. Leah, how's it going? Oh, it's going really good. Thanks for having me, Rich. I'm I'm super excited. I saw when you posted that you wanted to do some podcasts. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm doing the research and I'm like, man, this, this, this lady doesn't mess around. She's, she's out there. She's doing so many different things and staying in so many, having her, I always use the expression, uh, fingers in many pies. And, um, that's, uh, that's definitely it. So I want to, I want to start off with a little bit of your origin story. And I always kind of like to go a little bit more. Uh, softball, so to speak. So with that said, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, I wanted to be so many things. Uh, <laughs> and and my dad basically ruined pretty much everything for me. This explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I love animals. And I used to be like, oh, yeah, when I grow up, I'll be a vet. And he'll be like, yeah, and you'll be working with cows and pigs, you know, and I was like, Thanks, Dad. Um, then I wanted to be a lawyer, and my dad was like, "Yeah, and you'll be defending criminals." It's like awesome. Like, thanks. Um, so finally, when I decided that my heart is set on being a psychologist, I just didn't say anything, and uh, until it was time to apply for university and all of that, and and then I went into the mental health field. But yeah, my history with psychology is very very old i was 14 when i realized that's what i want to do 
So, yeah. Talk about an amazing parallel, and I'll tell you why. I went to school for agriculture and animal science in high school, Mm. and I graduated with the hopes of being a vet. And my mom was like, vets don't make any money. What? (laughs) And um, she was like, you should be a lawyer (laughs) because you like to debate and you like to argue. This was the rationale. And I said, all right, fine. So I went and I, I started going down the path. I remember I took my first like criminal justice class and I liked that aspect, like learning about criminal behavior, the sciences behind it, not the law part. So, so quietly, I was already not going to be a lawyer <laughs> before I left school, but it's amazing to hear that because it's amazing that all it takes is that sentence of, you're not going to make any money or you're going to work with it with dog crap all day or whatever it is to dissuade you from going down that career path. And I find it uh, refreshing that I'm not one of the only ones that had to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I think most parents mean well when they give such comments, but ultimately it does have a massive impact. So at, so at 14 coming to that realization, um, you know, going into, going into psychology, when did you, when did you even, did did you ever broach that on route to becoming um, a a professional in that space with, with like your, your family? Or was it something when you were in school, you're like, surprise, gotcha. And I'm doing this. No, I think that I have probably told my parents that that's what I would like to study, but just stop listening to whatever, especially my dad had to say about it, because um, it didn't matter. I was like, this is no longer just not knowing what the field is about. I had a pretty good idea of what psychologists do. I was seeing psychologists in action. And I was like, wow, this is something that is really awesome. And I have an insight into it. So it didn't matter what other people would say to me. And oftentimes, actually, from memory, when I would say I want to be a psychologist or I'm starting to be a psychologist, um, people would be like, oh, you want to you wanna work with crazy people? And I was like, there's so much in psychology. Why would you think that this is the only like path in psychology as in psychiatry and working with people in supported living or something like this? It was just like people know very little about this field. I was very shocked, to be honest. And even when I was at university and I had lecturers say things like, oh, yeah, you wait to graduate and say that you're a psychologist. People would be asking you if you can read their mind and they'll be afraid of you. So you may even end up making up a a fake job title. And I was like, what? That can't be it. People are not so ignorant. And actually, um, yeah, a lot of the time people think that I can read minds and I'm like, I'm a psychologist, not a psychic. Different things. That's that's crazy only because there's so many, you know, there's so many misnomers with that. And especially I've noticed over the last five years, uh, there's been a lot of discussion with mental health when it comes to uh, gender based mental health and how, you know. When, and, and I know this for a fact, like when, when men talk about going to see a psychiatrist, going to see a psychologist, like people used to view that as a sign of weakness because we're supposed to internalize and, you know, nose to the stone and provider, hunter, gatherer, and, you know, any of the challenges that come with it, you got to process them and go forward. 
And now over the last five years, people are starting to discuss that more and more frequently, and it's becoming more commonplace. And I think that a lot of that has to do with what you were saying, that there's so much unfounded uh, information in the space. Not only that, but people just haven't, aren't having those conversations because they're still like a, the, a vulnerability that people just don't like to acknowledge. And I tell mm-hmm. people, it's like, listen, you know, you have to, the, those vulnerabilities, yeah, they're, they're nice and all to have them, but some of them are because they were put there and you have to fix them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a challenge for a lot of people to even begin to understand their mental health. And in all honesty, even with myself, um, I'm very self-aware and I've been in plenty of situations where I'm like, yeah, this is not okay. I'm not okay. And I'm still feeling a little bit reluctant to do anything about it. And as I've spoken to so many um, people, especially people who struggle with um, addiction in the sense of usually behavioral addiction, because I'm a workaholic, um, we end up speaking and, and reminding each other that you need to reach a a point where this coping strategy is no longer helping and the pain that you're experiencing is too much for you to end up being like, okay, this is no longer working. I need to do something to change where I am with myself, with my life, with my relationships, whatever it is. Like there needs to be a breaking point for everybody. And I think sadly for a lot of people that breaking point is, um, well, it takes years to get there, and by that time, it's uh, it's pretty sad how their lives have developed and what has happened to their families, their relationships, their careers, and all of it. So, yeah, we need to be talking about it, but you can't force change, and you need to acknowledge that when people no, are ready, absolutely. they will they will do what they need to do to help themselves. So you mentioned you mentioned being being a workaholic, and I want to unpack that a little further. Um, mm-hmm as a, as a, a person that's a psychologist now, obviously that it's, it's not for a sake of comedy, but who does the psychologist go to see <laughs> they're having a problem? And I, and I say this, I, obviously the answer would be, you go see another psychologist, but I, obviously being in the field, learning, learning, um, the, the methodologies, how do you approach that? Cause I'm sure you had to talk to uh, uh, you know, another psychologist or somebody and come to that realization, like, man, you know, I'm a workaholic. I need to, I need to slow down. I need to process differently. Walk me through that because I'm sure that it's like, you know, what doctor helps the doctor? <laughs> people are cu- People I'm sure are curious. Well, about um, you know, I need to give you a bit of backstory. So my dad is a workaholic. He has been his whole life. And I grew up calling him out on it and basically calling out every single friend of mine throughout my history of life when they've been workaholic and have had workaholic tendencies and excessive and compulsive behaviors around work. So I actually grew up thinking to myself, I'll never start a business and I will never be like my dad. And then, um, yeah, like father, like daughter, I ended up falling into the same traps that I have sworn so many times not to to fall into and ended up being a workaholic, very, very, very aware of it from the get-go. And I just ended up justifying it and 
kind of like minimizing the experience and how much damage it was doing to me until a, a breaking point after a few burnouts. And I was like, okay, well, each burnout is getting worse and worse. It takes me longer and longer to recover. And that means I'm not working. I'm not seeing clients. I am just exhausted and it's ending up to cost me into the thousands, right? So I was like, no, no good. And it was then that I was like, I need to do something about it and address it. And you're really right about where does the psychologist go to? Um, in in all fairness, it's very difficult for me to find a professional who can actually work with me because most professionals have not worked with other professionals. And they, even if they have, they've worked in supervision with them in the sense of helping these other professionals therapize and help other people. So it's very difficult to find a therapist who understands and can actually grasp that you're not a newbie to this. You understand yourself and you need more of a brain, an equal brain to discuss with you rather than um, for them to take you as if you don't know anything. So it's very, very hard. And when it comes to workaholism, you really need to find the people that have actually studied this, have experience in this and take it seriously because there are a lot of psychologists and therapists and coaches out there that do not take workaholism as seriously as it has to be taken just because it's not in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It is sadly still not considered an actual, um, yeah. yeah, an actual behavioral, behavioral addiction, even though it totally meets the, the criteria. If you just compare it to phone addiction or uh, eating addiction and like sex addiction, whatever, it, it is right there. You know, it's interesting because I had a conversation with a with a friend of mine and we were talking about how our parents raised us and it was always very regimented, meaning you go to school, you go to college, you get married, you have kids, you work, 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 work until you retire. And then by the time you retire, everything you've done to make your quote unquote life better, you can't enjoy it because you're old or you got health problems or you're going to die. And it's crazy that those stigmas start because of that. And it's interesting, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, your dad being a workaholic and it's true. You get, there's a certain value system that gets instilled just based on the fact that they want your, you, you just, you see it and you're like, Hey, you know, can we go on this trip? Oh, well, I gotta, I'm going to have to pick up three or four shifts if we wanted to go on that trip. So we can't because I'm already working hard enough as it is. And then you're kind of like, oh man, that sucks. And you process that and then you start putting that correlation is, well, in order for me to get the things I want, I got to work twice as hard, three times as hard, four times as hard. Instead of looking at maybe, maybe, you know, maybe less going out to eat will help me go on that trip because I could just stack that money or some other methodology instead of just work harder, work harder, work harder. Because like you said, the burnout that creeps in is exhibited differently from person to person, but it's very, very real. Mm. And the, the, the worst part is that now there's such a drive for hustle culture that people 
embrace quote unquote becoming a workaholic and end up sacrificing so much and as somebody as somebody who's notorious for you know working on podcast till 4 a.m doing all the stuff like i get it and it takes like a seismic shift to bring it into into focus for me i think it was after my daughter was born and i said i remember i used to work and i was working from home and you know, my work computer was still open after five o'clock and I'd still be answering emails or whatever. And, you know, when my, after my wife went back to work and it was me home with the baby, I was like, yeah, no, I'm oh, rich. I emailed you at six o'clock. You know, I was like, yeah, my hours are till five. Oh, mm-hmm. I sent you this. And I'm like, I had to put my kid down for a nap. Sorry. You know, and I started taking more ownership of that. But not everybody has that luxury of some sort of a life event to put that into perspective. Um, in your case, going and speaking to professionals and and having these these burnouts, what was what did you try to do to kind of help you re um, reassess how you are approaching your work? Um. Oh, I did. I did do a lot of things. Um, in actuality, I started with um, Workaholics Anonymous, and wow, that's a thing. That's a thing yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And um, I tried to stick with it, but I must say, I'm an atheist, and a lot of their um, ideas are really based around um, a higher power. And relinquishing and like relinquishing who you are and, and surrendering. That's the word that they use. Um, and a lot of the, I think maybe over six of the 10 or 12, um, I don't know what they call them, like rules or, or steps. Yeah. 12 um, steps, usually like a yeah, 12 step program. At least like six or seven of them have the word God in it. And I'm like, no. I, yeah, I know it's, ah, I even wrote an article about why I dropped out of Workaholics Anonymous. And for me, the biggest thing was that part of their philosophy is let someone else, i.e. a higher power fix you. And I personally believe there isn't a higher power than me in my life. I am responsible for everything that I do, experience and and allowing my life basically and i wanted to take that approach of being a stoic being responsible for myself my actions and actually taking steps to change and another reason why i didn't like the 12 step program was that as a psychologist i'll tell you there's a concept and it's very real that goes along the lines of if you if you say it, you believe it, just because if you repeat something a thousand times, it becomes your reality. Yep. And the way that people introduce themselves <laughs> in Workaholics Anonymous is pretty much what you've seen in Alcoholics Anonymous in movies, right. where they say, hi, my name is Leah, and I'm a workaholic. And that's Never it. That's a full Leah. stop. And I'm like, no, that is basically accepting that you would live with this for the rest of your days. And taking it as a label for the rest of your days. And I'm really against this because I'm a psychologist. I believe that people can change, that people can really 
um, reinvent themselves. And if I was to embrace this, I was going to go against everything that I believe in science and in right. psychology and the therapeutic process and healing trauma and all of these things that are, in my opinion, important in order to heal. So I loved that there were people who would share their stories. That was the most valuable thing for me. I loved hearing other people's journeys because it was validating and it made me feel like, wow, I'm not the only one. Wow, that's a thing, you know, and it gave me a bit more frame. But uh, after a while, I just couldn't cope with the whole higher power and embracing a label for life. That was not for me. I knew that I needed to heal because I, I had massive um, negative experiences in 2017 that absolutely ruined me emotionally. And that's where the the workaholism came from and the trauma. It was just something that I've seen my dad do as a learned behavior. It was like an idea. It was there. It was a coping strategy. But when uh, hell broke loose, uh, and can I swear, by the way? Yep. Thanks. We can mark it. Mark it accordingly. <laughs> um, when, when things went to shit in my life, I just didn't want to, to face reality. I didn't want to face the hurt. I didn't want anything. I used work as a coping strategy as something that kept me safe from disappointment and further pain and so forth. So I knew that the core of my workaholism was one, learned behavior from my dad, two, coming from an Eastern European background where you literally grow up with stories that if you don't work, you don't get to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and three, the trauma that I experienced in 2017. I knew that these were the things that I needed to address and heal in order to stop being a workaholic, basically, and not take this as a forever label. And even today, when I speak about it, I say I'm a workaholic, but I'm working on it, ironically. Mm -hmm. So there is a dot, dot, dot there's something that is being worked on here and I'm not taking it as a forever label. So I did this and it wasn't um, that helpful. And at one point I reached my breaking point. I was like approaching another burnout that I felt it would be really serious. And I, it was during the pandemic, actually it was in 2020. And I was I like, oh, I need to hit the road. I have planned, um, it's a spiritual journey. Uh, it's a pilgrim's path um, in Europe uh, to a church called Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And I decided I'm going to walk the coastline of Port of Portugal, starting at Porto in Portugal, walking up to uh, Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And I put aside three weeks to do that journey walk it and focus on my body, like what it needed, because I was getting in a lot of pain out of all of these hours that I was sitting and working and working and working. So I had a, a week that I was like, okay, mentally, this is the week for my body. The first one, the second one was for my mind, clearing it, learning new stuff. And the third one was kind of like, time that I took to just stay in Porto, which is one of my favorite cities in Europe, and reflect and learn and cement what I'm going to actually change when I 
go back into the UK. So this was the time that I really flipped things around. I went down the rabbit hole of reading books, doing courses, um, going through all sorts of therapists' websites and doing worksheets and whatnot, um, listening to tons of podcasts, talking to other people who feel the same, etc., and learning from them of like coping strategies and how they have work boundaries and all of that. So I came back to the UK with a notebook full of all of these techniques, strategies, things that I needed to reassess. And as you may expect, because it was a pandemic and everyone was burning out, I'm in a few business communities and, oh my God, like so many fellow professionals were like, oh my God, Leah, so what did you learn from this spiritual path? Like, how did you grow? What kind of strategies did you develop? And blah, blah. And then I'm going on and on about burnout and workaholism to different people and they're asking me tons of questions and I was like damn I'm going to burn out talking about burnout <laughs> like I was waiting for that I was waiting for you to say I came to the realization that working on myself was just more work <laughs> <laughs> oh it was it was but a different type of work it was a right. different investment you fulfilling. Know? I, yeah it was a fulfilling yeah. um and it was hard honestly and um I I just realized that at some point, I, I need to stop talking about burnout to people. So I just said, you know, I had a, a meeting with my business mentor and I was moaning about it. I was like, oh, my God, everybody's asking me about these things. And he was like, they just put in a course then. There's, there's a need. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair. I'll be done with it in two months. <laughs> um, a year and a half later, it's not completed. It's right? It's still work in progress. But, but I um, have to say, that's good because in a way that's good. And, and I'll explain only from an outsider's perspective, because right now you talked about being, being a workaholic, nose in the nose against the stone, focus, focus, focused. The fact that you said, oh, I have it done in X amount of time and it's taking you longer mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, a step in the right direction because you're pacing yourself. You're yes. taking your time. You're not. Oh my God, I got to write a thousand words today. Now it's like, oh, I'll write a chapter today and then maybe I'll take two days off. Maybe I'll write a chapter over the weekend. And even though you know there's an end game to get the course done, you know that it will get done. Just it'll get done at your own pace, yeah. which honestly, in my opinion, I think is a step in the right, the right direction in terms of how you're approaching this. But again, uh, from an outsider's perspective, you're absolutely right. I mean, the amount of times like, my business mentor to this day, when whenever we meet, he's like, when are you going to be done with this course? And I'm like, Paul, stop it. <laughs> like, I'm going to be done when I'm done. Uh -huh. um, and, Setting and, the expectation puts more pressure on you. And then you know what happens to yeah. meet that expectation. Then you start working more. Yeah. And you're like, shit, why did this go sideways? <laughs> so it, again, from the outsider's perspective, I am 100%. I support how you're doing it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, um, I realized the irony behind it as well. So in an attempt to work less, I created another project that I'm working on. You know, it's so ironic. Um, but also there's so many things that I've already put in place in my life that keep reminding me to pace myself. And like one of those is in plain sight. If you're looking at me, you're seeing it. And it's that thing. Um, which to the people that are listening, 
is um what do you call this a pendant yeah um, or a charm that, yeah that i got at the last day of my camino and it's the symbol of the shell which you basically see on the path to santiago at every corner and to me that was like such a great way to to buy something as a, as a charm from that trip but also have it in front of my eyes every single day and know that i'm still on that journey when this pendant is off my neck then i will feel like well it will be a sign that i feel like i've beaten this thing that i've right. healed that i've down my journey and I'm in the end of it. So I, I don't need the constant reminder. So there's so many things that I've put in place that are in front of me every single day to, to deal with that. And the saddest thing is that a lot of the professionals that I was speaking to when I came back basically wanted a quick fix. And I'm like, do you there's realize? No such thing. Yeah. Do you realize? Um, Cause I'm not going to bullshit you that most likely you've been like this for decades. Like most of my entrepreneur friends, etc. I'm I'm a massive outlier in any business room because I'm like a young woman, right? And and most of the people in these rooms are men and men over 40, 45, 50. So when I've spoken to them and they go like, well, how do you fix this real quick? I'm like, why do you expect a quick fix? You've been like this for like, what, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And, and you what, want magic? This is no wizardy, no magic here. You know, you just need to put the work in. Just as you've put it in your business, you need to put it in yourself. Well, people want, they always forget that it's like in order for you to quote unquote master something, you have to put in 10,000 hours. So if you think about it, you put in 10,000 hours to master a program or a course or whatever. It's like, guess what? You got to put the 10,000 hours in yourself. Yeah. And if you can't even be willing to put the 10,000 hours into yourself, then that's a problem. I mean, you know, I've, it, it, when, when people always ask, you know, cause I remember I used to always find solace in going to the gym because the gym is very solitary. You go, you throw on your headphones. And I always joke, I always joke. I always tell people I'm, uh, I'm the president of picking things up and putting things down. And mm -hmm. the thing about it is that you go there. It's just, here's a bar with some weight on it, move it. And that's it. And what happens is 10,000 hours in that respect. It's like, Hey, today I could lift the bar tomorrow. I could lift the bar plus one plate, two plates, three plates, whatever. Until much like anything else, you reach a point of mastery. And then it just becomes a point of mastering self. And people just don't get it. Like nine times out of 10, whenever I'm in any sort of a room that's a, like a fitness community or anything like that, the first thing people will say is, oh, you know, like, what can I use to help me, you know, lose, lose back fat or whatever. And, and I, I'm always the first person. It'll be like, put down the fork. Mm. Like, it's the easiest, it's the easiest thing. Go for a 10 minute walk after you eat. Oh, I don't have time. Bullshit. We have, we all have the same 24 hours. You mean to tell me you don't have 10 minutes to walk around your block where you live after you eat oh, a sandwich. But when it comes to workalism, Rich, it's people who have experienced compulsion to work. There is this massive guilt 
mm-hmm. that you Absolutely. experience when you're away from work. It's it's insane. Honestly, oh, it was destroying I can, me. I can vouch for that. I can vouch for that. When when I was working my day job and working on podcasts and everything else, I remember when I didn't write a post for the website for a day or two or I didn't edit, like I felt like I'm like, man, like, like, how can I expect this to blow up if I'm not putting in the work? Right. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, if it's meant to happen, you're putting in the work, your work is going to amplify the results. But again, going back to what I was saying, I fell victim to what's been happening over the last maybe 10 years, that dr- that drive to hustle culture and the grind. And yeah, man, you got to post seven times on Instagram and five TikToks a day. And you know, seven posts on LinkedIn. And I'm just like, who has time for this shit? Mm-hmm. Like I went to um an in-person networking group and they were talking about exactly that. Like, I want to grow my business. And the guy who was presenting, he's like, yeah, well, you got to post on Instagram and you got to do this and you got to do that. And I was like, can I say something? And they were like, sure. What do you got? And I'm like, listen, can I tell you that I post on all of these accounts once a day? And they were like, what do you mean once a day? I'm like, I automated all of it. I wake up, I put all my little posts in there in a, in a, in an app. And then I just set them to publish throughout the week. And then I'm done. Guess what? I don't have to do babysit. Like if I want to write something on the fly, sure. But to your point, I have control of that. And they were all like, Oh my God, tell me more. And I'm like, what do you mean? Tell you more. I just told you, like, you don't have to be posting 17 times a day wake up in the morning find an app that can automate put all your stuff in there and then if you want to do something on the fly spontaneous knock yourself out yeah i mean what you're talking about just reminds me of one of the things that i tried uh when i was like fully aware that i'm a workaholic but completely in um like denial that i want to do anything about it i was still doing something and that was to find out how to work smart. And honestly, <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole of how to be more productive, how to be <laughs> time efficient, how to nail more leads and blah, 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 like the whole shebang. And honestly, it just drained me even more. Mm-hmm. So um, right now I've learned to outsource and delegate and is a, a little bit of a control freak when it comes to quality of work and these kind of things. I don't want to control other people in their lives, but when it comes to work, I can be a pain. So I had to kind of learn that, hey, other people can know their shit too and can deliver good work. So I started hiring and having freelancers work for me and that has actually made a massive difference. But before that, I went down the rabbit hole of how can I be uh, better at time management and and business and all of it. It was just uh, a different way of trying to work less, except learning all of these things required a lot more, more. work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, 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 I definitely get the parallels. You know, I did, you know, guilty of trying to Pomodoro technique and oh. doing this and doing that. And to your point, it's funny, you know, like you outsource. And I remember, I remember I met a uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and he's like, Hey man, you need to get yourself a business partner so that you can focus on the content and they can focus on the business. 
And I was just like, sure, I'm just going to dial them right up mm-hmm. and say, hello, rent a partner. I need you to run my business. And I always I tell people, I'm like, listen, as passionate as you are about what you have, nobody's going to come into it and share that same passion you do. So you have to remove, uh, to your point, that expectation. So like when people would write posts for the site, I'd be like, hey, you didn't write a post or whatever. I realized I said they have no skin in the game to them. It's just, hey, I'm doing this for you or I'm doing this as a job. And the best part is they don't have that emotional baggage of, oh, my God, this is too big to fail. They just do a job and keep it moving. And I Mm -hmm. said, you know what? I can't set uh, I can't set a walled garden around those people expecting them to have the same level of energy I do for my business, because to them, it's a job or it's something they do in their spare time or whatever. It's funny. You said something about people knowing your work. And I, and I say to myself, people, people can know, people can know their shit. They just won't know your shit. And that's exactly it. And, and the more I've, I've understood that as long as they get a baseline of what I'm trying to do, I feel I'm ahead of the game. Oh yeah. And, and the thing is with, with this, I create SOPs now, like, I spend a couple of hours creating an SOP, making sure that they understand how I want things done and the whole process from A to Z. And then there's literally nothing else to do because I have made sure that they know exactly how I want it done and it's going to be done my way uh, with my instruction, with my process and everything. So even that, you can kind of find a way around it. And yes, my assistants are not uh, as invested in my business as I am, and I'm not expecting them to. Um, I'm expecting high quality work, and that's that. But in the end of the day, it's also my responsibility to make sure that they understand the, the assignments, they understand my business, they understand my brand. Um, well, I have about four or five or six brands. So yes, <laughs> they understand, yes, each, <laughs> they understand each one that they're working on uh, and they're executing just as I require. So that's my coping strategy for this, for sure. Before, before we shift gears, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask, one of the things that is interesting about our conversation is that you, like you said, I'm a workaholic and I'm still working on it. But the <laughs> thing about it is, do you do you feel well let me rephrase that do you think that when you're saying i'm working on it that you always have an end game in sight and i say this because is it better to have to be working on it and know that hey eventually i'll get there or is it like i want to be free of this in a certain amount of time do you think it's more there's more pressure when people put that limit on themselves like in your case, you're, you're doing this and you know, you're still working on it, but you, you have an open-ended end date. Am I, am I correct in that uh, assessment? Yeah. So when it comes to personal development, personal growth, healing, um, because as I said, a lot of, um, a lot of addiction and there's loads of research on that, um, it basically is a result of trauma. So, and I, I say this to my clients, which is, a completely different thing but change will happen when you're ready for it because you'll pursue it and the other thing is like there isn't a time limit you know sometimes clients ask me is like how many sessions do you think I need and I'm like 
I don't know how how fast are you gonna get you know over certain I don't know negative experiences of the past or uh, how fast are you going to open up to yourself and to your partner or whatever it is I'm like there isn't a time limit to how you would open up to to growth and how you would change and all of that and every day is a learning uh, experience at least for me so I make sure that I know that I'm on a journey I know how my life would look like free of workaholism and burnout I do know um, and I know that once I have reached that point and have been tested by time and by more shakes to my life and, and negativity and all of that, and I manage without slipping into workaholism, without uh, going back into unhealthy behavior around work, etc., I'll know that is that is it. I've I've done it, you know. Um, but this is how I define it. I know how life would look like. I know that I would have reached a certain um, point of experience with negativity and things that, you know, used to make me slip back into workaholism, no longer do. I will know that I've reached the, the end journey, but there isn't a deadline. You can't put a deadline on that. So... It's funny because that that created another question I have to ask. So, in light of of that personality trait for yourself, when you're dealing with your patients, how does it work when a patient, um, I don't want to say when when they fail, but when they're not trying to to self improve, how does that? How do you internalize that after a session? Let's say you a, you a person's been coming to you for three months and they're just not. They're not moving forward. Mm. How do you, again, given, given their personality trait that you've been exhibiting, how do you approach that then? Because now you're like, do I have to work harder? How do I reach them? Where do you, where do you put a limit on yourself for that in terms of your work? Mm. Um, I'll, I'll have to make a couple of clarifications. Um, so I'm a psychologist that actually specializes in sex and relationships. So I talk about sex and relationships for a living and right. uh, I don't, I don't call them patients. I call them clients. Um, right. And it's, it's very different because the issues that people come to me for uh, or the desires and, and the ideas they want to turn into their reality and lived experience are uh, very different than let's say workaholism as, as I've struggled with that. Mm -hmm. um, but I see, I see where this question is coming from. And I would say that, I am very aware that people would reach um, new heights when they're ready for them. And, you know, when people ask me, like, again, how long would you think it would take? I'm like, it depends on you. How how are you going to make progress? Are you going to do your homework in the meantime? Are you going to read the materials that I send you or recommend the books or, or listen to the podcasts? Um, are you going to put the work in yourself in the meantime? And for instance, I've had clients that come to me with um, an issue around feeling disconnected from their body, not feeling like they can be sexual or feeling like their relationships, even though they love each other, is just not the intimate type of hot thing that they want. And right. 
the thing is with with those, I can sit down and be like, okay, you need this, 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 and this is your blind spots, and this is what you got wrong, and this is where you are failing to see your other part, your your partner's issue, and blah blah. blah. It can lay it all, but guess what would happen? People would freak out. People would just be like, oh my god. Because they're not ready for all of it. You know, nobody's ready for all of it. It's just, think of it that way. If you're going on a date with someone, on the first date, are you going to tell them everything about you? The good, the bad, the the, the ugly? Are you going to be like, oh yeah, and when I was in sixth grade, uh, this friend of mine just shot all over my feet, you know, on a school trip or something. You, you're not going to go into such things. You know, you, you're going to pace yourself you're going to make sure that you're giving them your reality your experience your true self all of it in time but you're not just going to be like yeah hey just google me and like learn everything about me from the internet right even any tweet from like 2011 uh, you know it's just people don't want that people need to pace themselves and i'm perfectly okay with clients needing their time needing to process needing to face difficult realizations and feel shaken at the end of sessions, come back and say, I really didn't want to join into this one just in case you, you know, push me a little bit more this time again. And and I know that people need some time to settle after a storm. I've had so many clients that we've had really powerful sessions and I'm like itching, you know, from the inside. I'm like, oh, I want to take them so much deeper and do so much good work, but I see them turn up and I'm like, okay, they need some time. They need to kind of settle down a little bit and feel their feet and find their ground. And it's not the time to be pushing them even more because the next thing is they're just going to be like, they'll shut down. Yeah. Jesus Christ, woman, like you can't do this to me every week, you know? Um, And it's not going to be helpful. Actually, people would, as you said, shut down. There you go. Mm. All right. Um, I think that's a, that's a good way to transition into it. What I like to call the hot seat. Um, it's a series of rapid fire questions and related to our conversation and some of our entrepreneurial endeavors. So again, whatever comes to mind, no pressure. Um, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first application or thing that you open? Oh, um, I don't open any applications, but I have the bad, <laughs> I have the bad habit uh, of listening to the news whilst the, the brief news whilst I'm still in bed. But oh, in my defense, I would say that this is the time that I still feel strong and feel like I can take it. I'm in my safe space. My cat is right next to me cuddling. Um, I, you know, whatever shit the world has to, to bring, I can take it right now. And then the rest of the day, you know, gets taken by my own shit and my own <laughs> storms and all of it, you know. That's uh, that's outstanding. And I was wondering how I would get that answer only because in light of what we, we've been discussing for the last 40 minutes, I said, if I know what she's that she's working on breaking a certain cycle, I'm like, she's not going to open a damn thing. But let's see. <laughs> <laughs> let's see because like you said you are working on it so i said hey, let me see let's yeah. see what what kind of an answer we get um what's one of the things that you feel has been a challenge uh in terms of growing 
your business? Uh, one and which yeah, business exactly? <laughs> well, that well, well, that's that's the thing. I always feel that there's always commonalities. So in 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 this case, it could be that maybe you're not delegating enough across all businesses. Maybe it's that you should be more hands-on in certain facets. I think the be- the biggest um, difficulty for me is to market myself and to kind of like push for any awards or any kind of spotlights, etc. Um, just because there's part of me that really believes that if you just do it right and if you work really hard, someone will notice and, and then things will just happen. And in actuality, you're just one in like millions that are trying really hard. And unless you put your foot forward and you'll be like, okay, spotlight, please, um, then you're not going to really get noticed. So I think that's the hardest thing for me to actually be um, showing what I'm doing and be loud and clear about it. Um, part of it is down to me not wanting to be famous as well. So I've been famous in like small fields and, and contexts and I did not like it. Like at mm-hmm. university, I used to run an archery club and being chased down the corridors and the library and cafeteria by people and be like, are you the girl from the archery club? Are you the manager of the archery club? I'm like, oh. shit, um, yes, hi. You know, uh, just did not feel very safe and good. Um, so, yeah, and I guess I'm sure. You, want, temp- you want tempered success. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, meaning... Meaning you want to go in the room, be recognizable enough to answer a few questions, but not be the centerpiece of the room. I don't mind being the centerpiece, but I don't want to be widely recognized. You know, I I don't want to be like, I don't know, Ashton Kutcher, like wherever he goes, he's going to be recognized. Mm -hmm. I want to be. You want anonymity to a point. Yeah. I want to be like famous psychologists from like the 60s and 80s and, and whatever. Like Philip Zimbardo, he's very famous with the Stanford Prison Experiment and he's done amazing work uh, to like challenge ideas around behavior and all of these things. And, uh, you know, loads of research disputing his research. But that aside, unless you're a psychologist and you're in that field, you don't know who he is. You, you don't uh-huh. care about him. You are not going to recognize him. So he's famous in his own field. So that's right. probably the type of famous I can handle. But you want not... that level of fame, not Dr. Ruth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody like I knew Dr. Ruth when I was a kid. Like, like, hey, I know that lady. <laughs> and, like, it, that that just stays forever. And like that's the first point of reference for so many people when they talk about that when they talk about the space that you're in, they'll be like, Dr. Ruth. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But (laughs) not, not the only barometer to use in that space. Yeah. Um, what was the last book you read? This should be good. (laughs) So a very difficult book to read. Uh, and I grabbed it here. It's called when the body says no, and it's by Gabor mate. Uh, or Mate, I don't know how to pronounce his name really, but um, it, the subtitle is the the cost of hidden stress, and it's so interesting to just see how 
when we are unable to say no, which is very difficult for our colleagues, um, and yes. when we take on so much stress, in the end, it actually kills us. I mean, all of the autoimmune disease that um, this guy, Gabramate, discusses, because he's, um, he's a medical professional, and all of the a lot of the the diseases and and illnesses etc that ruin our lives and and actually kill us come from stress and i would be honest here when i when i started my business i was under so much pressure and so much stress um i i got alopecia which is like you start losing hair at like mm. different spots on your head and i yep. had a like a, a massive spot at the back of my head that i was bald and i was like Great. I'm like in my mid twenties and I'm balding, you know, and I, I was just like, I guess this is the price of success. Better oh, be worth yeah. it. You know, um, <laughs> thankfully I've grown my hair back, but, um, it, it took an a eye long while. Yeah. It took a, a long while. And honestly, that did not stop me from working so much as I did. You know, I was basically breaking my back for another year and a half. And it was only about a year and a half when I started, maybe two years when I started actually pacing myself a little bit and thinking more of like stress and all of that, um, that, that thing started, um, going away. So yeah, that book is going to open your eyes. Nice. I will be putting a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Hmm. Um, more of a fun question. What's the last thing you purchased that's less than a hundred dollars that made your life easier or more enjoyable? Um, I don't know. I think I buy a lot of books. Um, can I, can I say that I bought a course, um, yeah. that is making, um, life more, I don't know, reading more interesting. So I bought, uh, Jim Quick's course on speed reading and, um, there's a lot of strategies online that he did not m like mention and teach in his course, but, um, there are plenty of techniques that I'm taking from it in improving the speed of my reading. So um, I don't remember what the price was, though. It might have been like 150 pounds, which... Well, I'll, I'll take a look and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll find it. Um, what's a non-negotiable for you, personally or in business? Ooh, wow. Um, respect. If we don't respect each other, we just need to move on. And when it comes to respect, it comes in, in many forms. So respect um time each other's time respect intellectual um diversity intellectual property don't steal from each other and that kind of stuff um respect the other person's point of view and write for it yeah i think if there's no respect we must not be talking anymore we just need to move on okay um we, you know we always talk about a a toys aspect uh what was your favorite toy growing up um <laughs> I had a, a baby doll that I never even named. It was called Baby, you know? <laughs> yep. um, and it was, yeah, it was just a baby doll. That was it. It wasn't a Barbie or anything like this, but um, that's the one that has just remained in, in my house back home. And every time I go, I just pull it out of the wardrobe and I look at it. I'm like, okay, give it a cuddle. And I put it back in. <laughs> You know, that's, that's interesting. And, and in light of our conversation, 
it's funny because my my next question was that at what point did you feel you stopped being a kid? Oh no, never! Come on, I'll, I'll let you in on the secret. The yes, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you in on the secret. So when I was a kid. The way that my parents used to put me to sleep when I was still very little was to stroke my back. So even today, to this day that at my age, you just, you know, we go to bed, you stroke my back, I'm out. Two minutes, I'm out. And the other thing, when I grew up a little bit more, like after like five, six, seven years old, and um, I wasn't getting the same attention, I used to put fairy tales, like dramatized fairy tales of like Alice in Wonderland, Huckleberry Finn, and all of these, uh, Snow White, whatever, um, on my tape mm-hmm. thingy. I don't know what's it called now. Tape deck. <laughs> yeah. Tape deck. Cassette player. <laughs> Cassette player, yeah. Um, so I had these audio tapes and I would play them with fairy tales. And in all honesty, some people may think, oh, this is unhealthy regression or something, but to me, when my head is busy at night and I want to go to bed and I'm like, I need to stop thinking about work and about tomorrow and about blah, blah. I'm like, I'll put a fairy tale on and I just found them on Spotify. They are now on Spotify. Wow. Um, and and you would be surprised. Again, it takes me like five, ten minutes and I'm out. But I need to listen to something that I've listened to before. Otherwise, I get into the fairy tale. I'm like, oh, what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. I like I like what you've said with that because people sometimes forget that sometimes it's the simplest things that bring us the most joy. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's that, that's what I've taken from your answer and what I want to impart to a lot of people. Like, you know, embrace that that simplicity, that that childish curiosity. I think because sometimes that's the best way to move forward with a lot of stuff. Mm, absolutely. Uh, last one. If I message you or call you a year from now and I go, Leah, where, where's your business at? What do you hope to answer? Oh, well, um, I hope that I would be able to say I work less, but more is done because of my team and that my work has reached more people and helped more people. That's, that's gotta be it, I guess. Uh, very generic, right? Very. No, not at all. Because I, <laughs> honestly, it takes us to the to the last part of our conversation, which I like to call "reach one, teach one." Just one last piece of actionable advice, and usually I tailor it for every guest a little differently. But in your case, um, it, I'm not going to tailor it too much because I think that what you br- what you brought to this conversation is incredibly valuable. And it's if you had to talk to a group of high school seniors mm-hmm. and they were getting ready to go into the world to work what would be one piece of advice you'd give them as they get ready to start on that journey? Because that's where the fun begins. Wow. Um, gosh, so much, <laughs> <laughs> so much. Um, I would definitely say to a lot of them, um, can I, can I list two or three things actually? Please, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing would be address your attitude towards money and what is the meaning of being rich and wealthy. Because a lot of people have a negative one and therefore they remain poor their whole life. I would say learn about the basics of money and learn what the hell compound interest is because you need this. And apply it not only to your investments but into your own personal development because the more you invest in yourself, it compounds. It builds and builds and builds. 
And this is the one true investment that you will never, ever regret your growth. So yeah, these are the, the couple of things that I would say are the most important things because if you're investing in yourself and if you know how to manage finance and money, you will be just fine. No matter whether you've got a job or you are starting a business, whatever it is, if you have a weakness, go at it and deal with it because otherwise it's likely that it's going to, you know, walk behind you your whole life and stab you in the back and uh, you, you may end up dying from a thousand cuts, right? Not a great thing. Definitely not. I, I think um, that is a, a excellent way to close out our, our conversation. Leah, if people wanted to uh, speak to you, link up with you, ask you any questions, where do you want people to follow your work? Well, I'm best uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I have a unique name. So if you Google Leah Spasova, you would find everything about me. I'm very stalkable and Googleable. Um, if you're interested in workaholism and burnout, then you would find my burnout work and workaholism work on binburnout.com. So I'll right. provide all of these links to you, Rich, for the listeners you have. Yeah. Leah, thank you so much for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thank you for having me. Man, that conversation with Leah was was super dope. But the thing about it is that one thing I've learned doing these episodes for so long is that the high point, besides obviously connecting with all these great people and sharing their stories, is being able to just level up personally. and talking with Leah, getting different aspects of her story and sharing it with you allowed me to also reflect internally and see a lot of those tendencies, those workaholic tendencies that, you know, we, we embrace because it's all that we know. And it's important because we want to see our, our dreams and our projects realized. And I felt that a conversation of this magnitude needed to happen because again, especially now as we're coming out of, you know, the quote unquote, uh, you know, COVID lockdown and people were digging deep to get their businesses off the ground and launch these passion projects. And sometimes you just, you just lose sight of certain things. I mean, I can count over the last, you know, 15 plus years, a lot of sleepless nights, um, working on podcasts and the website and just sharpening my craft to, to just be better, to give people a better experience, but also because I just, I just wanted to make it. I wanted to have something that was mine that I can sit back and go, you know, I made this. And the funny thing is that, you know, I came to a lot of realizations over the years and, and fatherhood really put that into perspective because in that regard, it's like I made a person, I was responsible for bringing a life into this world. And that kind of just made it, uh, had such a substantial impact on me that everything else just became not less important, but it just became part of the journey to be better, to create something that is, you know, everlasting, like a legacy, I guess. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes for the sake of legacy and quote unquote, trying to make it, we make uh, some missteps along the way. And we need people to occasionally call us out on, on that stuff, because sometimes those people that call us out on it, whether they're part of your circle or not, 
um, are doing so because they live that life or they experience that and they want to impart those lessons because it's their way of creating a legacy. And I think that what Leah brought to this week's episode and the stuff that she shared, so much of it just personal, deep realizations allowed me to also reflect on a lot of the things that I did and a lot of, and a lot of the behaviors that she discussed. It allowed me to reflect on them. And now by me sharing her story and, you know, bits and pieces of mine over, over the course of all these episodes, I hope that it allows you to reflect and realize that, you know, there's a lot more going on than just my business, my business, my business, my business. You know, sometimes it's better to step away, go out with some friends, you know, go for a walk, stare at the clouds, whatever. And sometimes that clarity, those those moments that you take for yourself become the the moments when real inspiration happens. So with that said, um, take a moment, make sure to check out the show notes for this episode, see all of uh, the different ways that you can connect with Leah and see all of the things we talked about in this episode. As always, full transparency, some of those items may contain affiliate links, which if you click them and purchase those items or use those links later on down the road, we'll receive a small commission, which of course goes towards making Rageworks, the shows, and everything that we do better for you, the listener. As always, calls to action. You guys know the deal. I'm not going to beat it up too much. You can find Rageworks on your social media platform of choice in some shape, way, or form. Uh, Feel free to connect with us there. Uh, For the most part, I try to run as many of the social accounts as possible, but we do have members of the Rageworks team that do occasionally tag in and lend a hand. But if it's something that's specifically dedicated towards me, I will, of course, try and respond personally. Last but not least, please take a moment and check out all of the great shows that we have on the Rageworks podcast network. Um, we truly, truly, truly have something for everybody from Alexis A. McCoy's uh, slaying for me podcast to trek untold turnbuckle tabloid black is the new black um you know the gamify podcast plus we got some great shows on deck uh do yourselves a favor check out all of these amazing creators they bring so many uh different perspectives and stories and opinions to the table on some subjects that are things that we're all passionate about you want your wrestling fix definitely check out jay you want some self-help and some real deep spiritual guidance definitely check out slaying for me uh you want to up your knowledge on crypto and uh the metaverse and decentralized finance and gaming and play to earn gamifies your ticket for that and of course definitely you know check out trek untold if you want to scratch that star trek itch uh matt's doing some amazing amazing stuff there and like i said uh, you know, support what you can check out all the shows and feel free to reach out to those creators as well. I'm sure they would love to hear from you last but not least, as always, if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of toys and tech of the trade, you can visit us at rageworksnetwork.com, fill out the contact form there, or email me directly rich at rageworks.net. Let me know what you want to discuss and we will try and set up a date and time and get you on the podcast. Last but not least, um, this is something I did want to mention to a lot of people, um, how you get on the network. And I'll use this just as real quick to close things out. For those of you that are interested in getting a podcast up and running, don't want to deal with all the heavy lifting, the minutia, 
iTunes, RSS feeds, the, the works, all that stuff, and just want to record and get your content out there, we are always looking to partner with creators to bring their shows to life. Don't do it alone. Definitely reach out if you're interested, and we can definitely get you up and running and make sure that the focus is on what matters most, which is your content. And for those of you that are curious, and I know many of you have asked, we can work with you even if you don't want to have a podcast on the network and just don't want to deal with the rigmarole of launching a show. We can do that too. So again, feel free to use the email I mentioned before, rich at rageworks.net, if you have any questions and are interested in working with us. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Make sure to check out all of our shows. Make sure to check out our guests' link links excuse me in the show notes for this episode and i'll catch you guys on the next one peace Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network. 
your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.